Check one, check one, two, three. Hey everybody, it's Michael Helms, also known as Michael the Sound Guy, and this is the Location Sound Podcast. You know, each episode we talk with location sound mixers, boom ops, and other industry pros about the various aspects of recording sound on location, whether it's for feature and independent films, TV commercials, interviews, any time where dialogue from actors is recorded. I started my career in the recording studios in New York City with some of the big artists back in the day, and later on projects for networks like HBO, Sci-Fi Channel, and the Cartoon Network. As time went by, I got out of the studio and began working in production sound. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or just starting out, thanks for joining us. Okay, my guest today is a production sound mixer and boom op based out of Chicago, Illinois. Please welcome Jacob Brown. Hi, Michael. How are you? Good. How's it going, Jacob? Pretty well, actually. All right, Jacob, we always like to start off the show talking about when you're working on set as a production sound mixer, what's in your audio kit? So just give us a rundown of your mixer, your recorder, preferred mics, and everything in between. Uh, Well, right now, the brains of the system is a sound device, the 664, um, which I've absolutely loved for the couple of years that I've had it. That Scorpio is really catching my eye right now. As far as wireless goes, most of my mics are um, Electrosonics kits, um, SRBs, 411As, SMs, some UM400As actually. I've been really happy with those, haven't had a huge reason to switch yet. I just picked up some of the Audio Limited, the A10s, and have been using those for booms on the last feature that I just wrapped. Really happy with the results, actually. So, yeah, pretty standard stuff. Okay. What kind of shotgun mics do you like to use? Uh, 416 is pretty much go-to for everything still. It's the old industry battle axe. Love the sounds we get, even on some of the indoor stuff. But when that's not pulling it, I'll pull out the Sennheiser, the 8050. Um, I've been really happy with that one for indoor stuff and really reverberant environments. And uh, what kind of timecode boxes do you use? I had a couple of the Denecki SB4s. Six months ago, I switched to the Nano Lockets, and I love them. I'm, I'm not going back. They're just fantastic. They're small. They're easy. It's pretty much plug and play. What kind of a bag do you put all that in? Orca OR34. All right. Now, do you have a cart set up as well? I do have a cart set up. It's not integrated. I like having the bag that can sit on top of the cart. So that way, if we need to pull the bag and go mobile really quickly, that's always an option. But essentially, that just hooks it up to everything's, you know, in storage for drawers. And we get some paddle antennas out and hook it up to the CL12. And yeah, and we're good to go. Well, let's talk about some of the projects you've worked on. I was checking out some of the stuff. Uh, You had mentioned some IMDb projects, and one of them was uh, Every 21 Seconds. You were a boom op on that. So can you tell us a little bit about that project? It was a good project. I think it shot two years ago over the summer. So for narrative stuff, I tend to get a lot of dramas that deal with um, a lot of heavy subjects and true-to-life stories. So this guy had um, undergone a TBI, leaving a bar one night. That wasn't any, any fault of his own. He just got mistaken for somebody else and ended up with a TBI being punched. And so he ended up um, writing a book about his recovery process and the toll that took on his family. Um, and then it ended up being made in a movie. But I was the boom op on that. I was pretty happy with that. I felt like the mixer and I were handing off um, pretty clean tracks at the end of every day. So it was a story that, you know, I liked and we got some good audio. So Okay. Now, were you using a wired boom or wireless? The mixer I was with, we were cabling for a little bit of it, 
and most of it we were um, wireless. Okay. Did you wire the main characters as well? Uh, everybody was wired for the run of show, yeah. Um, everyone was on um, SMWBs for it. Or SMVs? Yeah, we were on SMVs. When you're wiring up talent, are there any particular expendables that you like to use? I am big on Ursa over this past year. Um, I think the, the straps are incredible. All the stuff they're making is great. The little foamies have been lifesavers. The, the, the stickies, the Ursa tape is great. If I'm not using Ursa stuff, it'll end up usually being the Bubble Bee, the Invisalovs for outdoors. I really like those. I think those give a really transparent sound. They're pretty easy to mount. Okay. What kind of lav mics do you like? I like the Cos 11s just because I think they cut through a little bit more. I, the DPAs do sound a little bit more like a boom, um, but I think the Cos 11s cut through um, a lot of background noise a little bit better. And usually my opinion is if post is going to be pulling from the wire, they need to be cutting through that background noise as much as possible. So that's that's the approach I generally take. So I guess back to every 21 seconds, I, I watched the trailer and it looked pretty intense. Like you said, a lot of emotional real life drama type situation. So did you have any particular challenges on set when you were, you know, dealing with these, you know, quiet and emotional outbursts and those type of things? Um, no, I mean, just setting the gain staging properly. Good set etiquette always helps. There weren't any really rough patches. The crew and the cast, everybody got along pretty well. But no, there weren't any particular challenges from an audio standpoint for us. Now, I also was checking out another project. Uh, I saw another trailer for A Chance in the World, and it looked like a, a young man that was kind of in the foster system. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Uh, that was, I think actually that was the second feature that I had mixed. It turned out pretty well, but I mean, it's, it's you know, everyone's first couple of features are always going to be interesting. But it was it's the same sort of thing. It's a very heavy drama. Um, this kid was abused in the child care system and then ended up finding adults who were willing to help him find a way out of the abusive system and the abusive families he was getting put with. You know, he ended up writing a book and then it ended up turning into a movie. So similar situation. But that was pretty easy from a, a dialogue standpoint, an audio standpoint. It was mostly indoors, you know. Do you find yourself kind of doing the same setup when it comes to miking up your actors? I try and keep it pretty standard. If we can, I will usually um, have them go on an ankle an ankle strap, and then run it up, obviously, to the chest. Usually, um, females will just end up on a, on a hide-a-mic situation with the bra clip. Um, males will just tend to end up in the foamies. And then if there's an issue, we'll, we'll go from there. Now, how has your experience been when it comes to being involved in the pre-production process and when you're you know, scouting locations and kind of prepping before the, the actual shooting begins? Well, it's nice when there is a pre-production um, that wants to include the sound mixer. It's more often than not, they will forget to include, you know, the sound mixers on emails or text chains or something like that. And they go, oh, was this going to be an issue when we show up? And I said, well, yes, being, you know, 20 yards away from, you know, a train line is going to be a problem, you know, in terms of your shooting schedule and how long you're going to be holding. But no, when they do include me, it's, it's nice. There's not too much because most of my stuff tends to be independent. So kind of when they get a location, that's kind of the location they have. Most of it's talking to our location contact during the scout to see, you know, what we have permission to turn off in terms of air conditioning or refrigerators and things like that. And, but it's nothing too crazy. Okay. Well, what's been the most interesting project you've worked on so far? Probably I did a short about a year ago called Bob and Edgar. And that was really fun for me. It was my first time doing an entire project, even though it was only short, doing an entire project with an animal and the animal being a, a main cast member. I mean, 
it was it was fun. The short was about this guy, and he pet sits these animals, but he and the animals can talk back and forth, so he gets these fun relationships going with the dogs that he watches. It was good, but we got lucky. The dog was a retired service animal, so very calm, very quiet, very easy to work with. But that was probably the most interesting project because it gave me something new that I hadn't really done before and something that everybody said is a nightmare. Oh, don't work with children, don't work with, with animals. But that was, you know, pretty easy. Okay. Did you wire up the animals at all? <laughs> um, it was suggested. Comedically, it was suggested. But we actually had the voice actor who was reading, the voice actor who was going to be playing the dog. We had him on set to record all his lines live in time with the, with the performance, um, just so we could get the timing right on all the jokes and the comedy and everything. Um, and it turned out pretty well. They ended up using all of it in post, actually. So, Now, how did you get started in production sound? It was kind of an accident. Um, I came from a, a musical family, whole family musician, so I was pretty familiar with front of house, but I wanted to go into film scoring. So that was the direction I did when I started college and I started taking music classes and I got a couple of shorts to score. And then I said, well, boy, these are really cool. I wonder how they're made. And so I kept emailing and asking if I could hang out on set and I really gelled with the sound guys, you know, cause I was pretty familiar with a lot of the techniques and equipment. And it was, so I kind of just slotted into it by accident. It was, you know, something I really seemed to enjoy. So I figured why not go for it? All right. Now, did you have any mentors along the way that helped you helped you along? Tom Beach, based out of Milwaukee, was a good mentor to me. He's a mixer. I've worked with a couple of times. But aside from that, it's most of the stuff in Chicago, if you're not working on the shows, tends to be more documentary and reality-based or corporate, where it's pretty much just one man. So it's a lot of it is learning as you go. And what was your worst on-set experience? We were shooting in a restaurant that they couldn't shut down the location. So there were people coming in and out and it was about 110 degrees outside. There was no air in the restaurant and they had absolutely no water on set. No, I mean, nothing. It was, it was, it was pretty bad. I think I've had some of those too, uh, starting off. Yeah, we were all outside. It was Florida. It was the summertime. We had a full crew and there was no cooler. There was no water. And, uh, all of our, all of a sudden, everybody starts feeling bad. People are getting sick, and so yeah, I think a lot of times with those smaller independent productions, sometimes as everybody learns and figures it out, you know, it can be a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, I haven't had anything where people have been hostile or rude or difficult time with talent. It's just pretty much been productions not realizing what they really need to bring in to accommodate, you know, crew and cast and and things like that. What's been your biggest technical challenge you've had to deal with on set? Just um, trying to get clean audio in really reverberant environments. I haven't had any gear malfunctions or anything. Everything's been pretty standard for me, but just dealing with really reverberant environments is always a technical challenge, finding new ways to isolate and you know quiet down the room and all of that. All right. Now, uh, we always like to be prepared when we're going to an audio gig, but have you ever forgotten any equipment on the way? Yes. Just last week, I forgot uh, a boom pole and the um, the C-stand for my antennas. There have been other cases where I forgot in SD cards, which is why they're now scattered everywhere, in pockets, in cars, in everywhere, just so I, I'm never without one. Forgot AA batteries once. There's a stereo mixer I used to have, a Mackie 16 channel. It's floating around somewhere in Indiana, I think, that I, I don't know what happened to it. 
So yeah, I mean, things get forgotten, but nothing that's been catastrophic. It's all been stuff where I've been able to get a replacement or go back and get it before the shoot started, really. Are you based in Chicago or do you travel around the country or around the world at all? Um, I do work nationally. Most of the stuff tends to be in the Chicago market, which is expanding up into Milwaukee and Minnesota and Detroit a little bit. But most of the stuff is centered around Chicago and the Midwest. Well, if you could go back a couple years and give yourself some advice of maybe something you've learned along the way, what would you tell yourself? Biggest advice I would give myself is definitely know your value. I think I took a lot of gigs when I was starting out that were well below what my value was worth for um, my knowledge. Not so much my equipment, because that sort of came up with me. I started off with a much smaller kit and everything. But yeah, know, know your worth. Don't work for below minimum wage or minimum wage. Find out what mixers in the area are charging and go right around there. You don't want to undercut, but you want to remain competitive at the same time. So it, it's a hard line to walk, but Yes. Talking about, you know, undercutting yourself. I had a, a guy recently, he, he sent me, he wanted me to work on, do some sound design for some animation. And the animation was actually really good, but he couldn't pay anything. And I was like, oh. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where every now and then I will do something, you know, to just to reach out and network a little bit. But I, I ended up, you know, I tried to give him as much advice as I could. But I, you know, yeah, you, you just can't, depending on your schedule, you know, it's like, do I have time to do this as a, as a networking thing or, or not? It's a call that we all have to make. Right. The biggest one I get is um, they'll say, oh, well, hey, it's for a, for a non-for-profit. You know, can you reduce your rate? And I'll be like, well, yeah, it's a non-profit. I'll, you know, I'll give you a little bit of a discount because it always, you know, it's always good to give back a little bit. It's good for the resume. And I'll give them a quote and they'll say, oh, we were actually thinking like an 80% reduction. And I said, well, I'm very glad that you're running a nonprofit. However, you know, this is, this is my living. I've got to, you know, make ends meet on this. Exactly. How do you go about the process when uh, somebody reaches out to you? Do you use a lot of um, freelance services like any of the, you know, Production Hub or Staff Me Up or any of those services? Um, Staff Me Up is the one I've had the most success with. I never seem to get anything on Production Hub. That doesn't, they don't seem to have too much for the Chicago market, but Staff Me Up has been really helpful. And I keep telling everybody to join. You know, it's worth, I think it's $15 a month, but you get one job from there a year and it's more than paid for itself. Exactly. Yeah, that's kind of like the production hub approach as well. Well, uh, how has the business kind of changed since you started to now? I haven't seen a huge shift. There's definitely been a lot more work coming back to Chicago, which is nice. Um, and I've seen fewer local hires, which I don't know if that's just me or if that's something that's starting to happen more nationally. Um, but rather than hire a sound mixer in a smaller market, like, say, Detroit or Milwaukee or somewhere in the Racine area or somewhere up in Minnesota or down in Indiana, Crown Point or Valparaiso or something like that, companies feel more comfortable hiring um, a mixer out of a bigger city like Chicago and paying for them to travel. That's the biggest change that I've seen. I don't know why that's happening. I don't know if they th assume that because we're in a slightly larger market, we're going to have slightly better equipment or slightly more experience. But it's the only reason we have that experience is because they keep giving us the jobs instead of the local mixers. Had it kind of slowed down a little bit? 
Um, yeah, there was a, definitely a period where it had slowed off, but with the shows that came back to Chicago really helped. There's a lot of commercial stuff that's starting to shoot down here again, which is really good. It's picking back up more so in the past couple of years, I think. Okay. Yeah, we had interviewed uh, Matt Vogel, who was uh, from the Chicago area, and he was talking about his experiences, and he does a lot of international travel as well. But I was curious still how things were, were going there. Yeah, it's a lot of documentary, a lot of corporate still. Um, most of the narrative stuff, the scripted stuff still tends to be independent unless you're on um, one of the shows. But there is work to be had. So Now, you mentioned the Audio Limited wireless. Tell us about your experience with that so far. Really good. Um, I used it. I wanted to try it in a couple different situations. So at first on this last feature, which I picked it up for, um, was shooting down in Indiana. So I've had them for about a month and a half, two months. So for the first week, we used them um, primarily on talent because one of my big concerns getting them was concealment because they are a fairly large transmitter. They're about the size of the UM400As and UM400s, which coming from a world of the SMs or if you use Zaxcom, you're used, I mean, everyone's used to everything being so small. But, you know, we didn't have any problems with concealment because the ergonomics of the unit, they really blended into wardrobe really well. We had a lot of yoga outfits, really tight fitting clothes, and it just, it just disappeared into the curves of the costume. Um, after that, we switched to using it for the boom, and it really does sound like you're listening to a cabled boom operator. It's just, it's incredible. A lot of people are, you know, making new purchases. Do we stick with what we've always done, or do we branch out and try something new? Right. Well, Wideband has definitely helped with that quite a bit, even though it's still a little bit divided. I know a lot of the new stuff coming out is full 470 through 608 on transmitters and receivers. But if, you, if you're not getting that, you still have to decide if A1 or B1 is better for your region. And I know a lot of people are still holding off because it's just until that repack is completely finished, you just don't know and you don't want to spend all that money on equipment and then find out in three months that you've got to sell all of it. You know, that's not a position anyone wants to be in. So there's this sort of delay. We're in sort of this waiting period right now, I feel. Reaching out to other sound mixers in your area, do you guys have any kind of uh, support groups or, or networking groups that you'd like to be involved in? Yeah, there's a couple of groups going on on Facebook right now where everyone keeps in touch. Our local house is Second City Sound down at Cinespace, and they, they do a really good job of hosting different events and forums and places and events where we can all get together and talk quite often. So it always helps when you can have face-to-face -face contact with you know all the other mixers. Okay. Do you have any new gear that you have your eyes on? It looks like B1 is going to be the way to go for wideband in Chicago. So I think I'm going to finally get rid of a lot of those old UM400As and get some B1 SMs. But aside from that, I think I'm you know, just going to hold out for a little bit. Nothing, nothing other than the wireless. I think that's enough for the next couple months. Now, if some of our listeners wanted to get into location sound, what kind of advice could you give them? Again, know your value. We all have to take jobs starting out that are, of course, you know, it's networking and, you know, it's, it'll look good on your IMDb page and it's all about the credit and that's fine. But know your value, you know, when you know what you're doing, start trying to charge a real rate because otherwise you're going to be undercutting all the mixers in your area and that's not going to make you friends with anybody. Shadow somebody. That's a big one. If you can find somebody to shadow, even if you're not going to utility or boom for them, even if you just want to sort of shadow them on a, a corporate or a dock or something and they're willing to let you do that, definitely, definitely do it. Because the best way to learn in this field, I think, is by experience. All right, good advice. Well, Jacob, as we kind of start to wrap things up, do you have any final words of wisdom that you can share with people out there in the industry? Stay on axis. Stay on axis.
stay on access, yeah. Hey, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Uh, I do have a website and an email, um, both of which are linked on my IMDb page and my Instagram. And it's, it's pretty easy to get in touch with me, actually. My Instagram handle is jblocationsound. Well, Jacob Brown, I want to say thanks for being on the show today. All right. Thank you very much for having me, Michael. And a big thanks to all of our listeners out there. If you'd like us to discuss a particular topic, please send us an email at locationsoundpodcast at gmail.com. We would love for you to subscribe and leave us a comment. We're available on Apple Podcasts. And for Android users, check out Google Podcasts. Also, we're on Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, remember, sound is half the picture.